Hi, Natalie. Hey, how's it going? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing good. Awesome. How's Canada? Canada is good. We got some nice sunny weather today ahead of a weekend of rain. So definitely going to take advantage of that. How long is snowboarding season? Um, I mean, you can extend it pretty long if depending you, you go to travel, do a lot of travel. Um, so for example, I think like where you, we used to train was the West coast of Canada. So in Whistler and, um, usually the hill starts to open in November. Um, there's not the best things built yet. Like there's not really that many jumps or things that we can practice on, but things get started to be built like December, January, everything's in full swing. Um, usually competitions start around January or February, um so february march are like heavy competition season then you get into spring riding in april um some of the ski hills if they can like around me they close in eight, even late march april some of them can stay open till may depending you know how high the elevation is um but then there used to be a summer snowboard camp unfortunately not anymore that would go on all the way into june so you'd get to to ride pretty late and then you can go to australia or new zealand for august and september so then you only get a few uh, months off. Sadly, I was not so fortunate, um, especially with where I live. So um, most of the time, the season was kind of November until April. What do you do off season? Yeah, so I mean, I don't currently compete anymore in the sport of snowboarding. But when I was competing um, off season with just gym training. So just training hard in the gym, um, you know, working on different things, different aspects, mental training, doing all those kind of things to heal up injuries. So then you can come back into the season fresh. Mm, you have such a, you had such a short time frame, right? I mean, uh, since you have, like you mentioned, around six months-ish. Yeah, I mean, that, that's the hard part, especially with injuries. If you get injured, you miss a whole season. It's pretty easy yeah. to miss a whole season, and that's like a whole year gone. It's not like track and field where there's an indoor and an outdoor season. Um, we can't practice snowboarding indoors. I know there's a few countries that you can now, but even still, they don't have like the actual proper like big jumps and everything that we're used to. So, um, yeah, you really want to try to stay healthy for as long as you can into that season. It must be tough competing with uh, the other the athletes who travel around or, you know, are in regions where there's a much longer season. Yeah, I mean, I think everyone kind of has the same seasons, but then if you travel, you can get, you know, some extra time. For me personally, even though I was competing against all those athletes with all the funding, I just, I don't come from a place where, you know, my parents can't afford to send me around when I was back then. I think I was, I was competing with the national team from 17 till age 21, 22. Um, so most of it came down to me. And so I needed an off season even just to make money and like figure out how I can fund my season aside from sponsors and government funding and all that kind of stuff. Um, some people, they were just lucky enough to be paid to go all around the world. Um, and that's the hard part in sport when you're competing at the very highest level, but there's still such a big discrepancy between sponsorship, funding, um, expertise. You know, there's athletes who have been pros for 10 years and I was 17 and I have mm. to go and try to afford to compete at the same competitions, but I'm coming like 30th and they're coming and that's a good placing, you know, 30th in the world mm. and they're coming first and they're winning all the prize money and getting paid to go there. Meanwhile, I'm paying like $5,000, $10,000 just to get to that competition. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's the thing with sport, right? Regardless what your background is, 
you compete in the same circuit, you compete in the same ranking system, they're not going to make a differentiation based on how much funding you have or what your scene is, what your environment is, right? Yeah, oh, 100%. And I think that's like the biggest detriment to people or athletes in that middle ground because they're dealing with so much, right? Like when I was younger, even, or competing kind of at the national or, and local level, I could go to competitions and win a thousand bucks this weekend, a thousand bucks another weekend, because um, I would easily win these competitions. But all of a sudden you make the jump to like that pro level or the world tour, world cup level. You can't, it's not fair to go back to those other competitions that you actually would get make more money off of, but yet you're not yet making money off these bigger competitions. Mm. Um, and you see tons of athletes who drop out at that point because it's hard to make it last, especially if it's taking a long time, right? Like if you don't make that jump really quickly um, and you're not like all of a sudden the next best pro, it's really hard to keep funding that and keep, you know, keeping that momentum um, and keep affording it. So I think it's a big issue in a lot of different sports that that middle ground is really tough for a lot of athletes. Yeah. Uh, how long does it take to go pro? Uh, it's totally different for everybody. So, you know, and, and it's, it's also very subjective. There's no, you know, one way that it says you're professional. I mean, I had sponsors since I was age 15, everybody kind of needs sponsors in the action sports space. Um, some people like, for example, in skateboarding, they consider you pro when you have like a professional model skateboard, snowboarding, that doesn't happen as often. They don't make like pro model snowboards as often for their athletes. Like one brand might have one pro model. So brands will put you on their pro team, but at the same time, like you could not be on any brands pro team, but you're still competing at all these pro uh, level events. Define sponsors because sponsors can mean a whole different set of things based on what level you're in, right? you're at, right? So what type of sponsorship did you have? Yeah, so I was sponsored by some pretty awesome brands, Billabong, Skull Candy, uh, BioSteel, which now is like invested by Patrick Mahomes. So they really blew up. They're actually a Canadian company, um, Ride Snowboards. Uh, I had some great sponsors. Usually with those bigger companies, you start at a lower level and you start working your way up. So usually you'll work with like a national uh, rep or a local rep. Um you build a relationship with them. You go to their events and help promote. For example, there was a big ski and snowboard show in Canada. I would go and try to help um, promote the snowboards locally and nationally. Um, you would ride with them. You get an exchange of gear and different things. You get some bonuses if you're featured in magazines or if you win prize money. As you keep working up, you start signing contracts. So um, then you get paid kind of a certain budget to help with travel. Um, as well as you can ask, for example, uh, Skull Candy helped me out whenever I would go <clears throat> to a summer snowboard camp and say, hey, like the uh, lift pass is like $800. Can you guys help me out? So they would like come in and help out with some of those things. Um, they can also get you into events because a lot of events are invite only when it comes to like the pro tour, not like the Olympic qualifying, but like the pro tour ones. Some of them you need connections. Um, you need connections even to get media features. So that helps. And oftentimes you'll see, especially at the top level riders, they'll get prize matching. So if you go to a competition and win 50 grand, your sponsors usually will match that. So whatever you win, they'll kind of double it. Um, so that's a pretty common theme in, in the sports space. I also had some sponsors that were kind of from outside of snowboarding. Those often were the most 
kind of lucrative ones because they would usually do like an actual contract with money and not any sort of just exchange for a uh, product. Right. So did they, uh, what, what did they, like you mentioned, you need to, this is pre-social media? Uh, social media was just coming around. So it was actually, that was how I was able to get some of these sponsorships, especially um, ahead of my my competitors. Like I have friends who have now gone on to win X Games gold medals, uh, win Olympic medals, um, and they're still asking me for my sponsorship contacts. Uh, so what I was able to do is actually when social media was starting, the brands cared less about you promoting them on social media. Now it's like a whole different game. Like they mm. want you promoting on social media. That's the main place of attention. Back then they just want your sticker on a snowboard on the podium, get featured in print magazines, which I was starting to get a lot of interviews with. Some of those have now gone out of business because of social media. Um, and yeah, they want to see you on the podiums and all that kind of stuff. Um, and in photo shoots and different things like that. So, um, um, yeah, so, uh, oh yeah, going back to social media, sorry, I lost track of, of the question there. Um, yeah, so I actually used social media back then just to contact the brands. So often the brands didn't have social media managers like they do now there was someone pretty high up in their marketing department who was taking over social media because it was such a new thing. It wasn't its own department yet. So if I reached out on Twitter, I'm actually probably reaching the decision maker of that brand. So I started using social media to contact brands and make that initial reach out and then kind of proof of concept. So the same way that I advise athletes now to use LinkedIn, where they don't have to use LinkedIn as like, that's where they're pumping out all their content about sports. That's not where their fans are. That's where they can make the business connections. So that's how I was using Twitter back then um, and making those connections. And then as social media started, you know, Instagram and those things started, that's where I was able to start building up, um, posting some more behind the scenes, some of my training content and get sponsors like BioSteel who never had a snowboarder on their brand but they're very into like strength and conditioning and training and the other sports. So I was able to kind of build that bridge with them. Were you one of the few to do it or was everyone starting, uh, starting out to do that? Everyone was, so not many people were using it how I was with the business connections. And even still, I think it's still really underrated. Like I'm trying to get athletes on LinkedIn now, cause I'm saying like, you can reach some of these decision makers. Cause if you DM a brand, it's going to be their social media person. And that message might not go up to someone high up, especially if it's like a big brand, right? Like if I message Billabong, I'm never going to reach the person that I would have worked with back in the day. So, um, yeah, so I was like one of the only people using it in that sense. And then, but when Instagram came around, everyone was pumping out videos and photos and starting to use it to kind of show their journey and, and build up, so. Did that distract you from your work, from your training? No, I don't think so. I think back then, I mean, it could probably more so now because now it's like so important, right? Back then, like you can miss a week of posting and it's no big deal. You don't even care mm. about it. Now it's like, oh no, you got to be posting a couple times, few times a week at least. Um, and so, yeah, it was still different days. Like it was still early. You still had a lot of family and friends on your social media. Um, your sponsors weren't requiring it. There was no contract with your sponsors saying you had to post a certain amount of times, which it's not the case. Like now I have sponsors that I work with um, in, with my social media profiles, with my videos, with my CrossFit training. Um, and that's all our whole contract is social media, right? It's like, you got to post this many times about us this way, these things. So social media becomes a job, but back then it was just kind of still for fun. Mm, yeah. How do you get started though? With, uh, with social media? No, no with snowboarding. Oh. 
Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I live in Canada, so tons of snow around here. Started skiing at two years old. Uh, got interested in skateboarding when I was like six. Uh, played pretty much every sport. Hockey was my main one. And then eventually I just was out skiing with my family. We had some, we all rented skis, went for a day, which is pretty hard in the, in the hockey season because you, you play hockey like every single day when you're playing that competitive level. Um, so we find, found a day to go for a family. And then I said, all the kids in my school are snowboarding. I want to do that. So I traded in my skis for a snowboard halfway through the day and basically never looked back. I was not good at it. I was not good at the start. Um, uh, so my parents were quite curious on to why I was in love with this sport because most other sports came quite easily and this sport came very difficult. Mm -hmm. But I think that was like what kind of attracted me to it was that it was going to be a challenge and yet I still really wanted to do this. So I knew there was a passion there because most things, if I'm not good at, uh, let's say a certain science class, I'm going to be like, mm, I'm just going to take a business class instead. Mm. But here I was like, no, like I want to get good at this. Um, so yeah, I started doing that and then eventually just stopped playing hockey and everything else. So I could just snowboard. Interesting. Interesting. So injuries, um, how often do snowboarders get injured? I think you're injured all the time. As a snowboarder, you're injured constantly. Like there's not going to be a day that you don't have something going on, especially when like you're hitting 60, 80 foot jumps on the daily basis. Like something is going to be sore. Something's going to be tweaked. You're going to have fallen. You're going to have cut yourself up or bruised or something. Like I wake up every day with random bruises that I don't even remember where they came from. But um, like big injuries, probably you usually get one a season. Um, and then like really big injuries, maybe every, every few years. I know there's some people who are just, just unlucky. Like I had a friend um, and he's still part of the national team now and he's a great pro rider, but for like four seasons in a row, he broke his collarbone and then broke his femur, broke his collarbone again. Like every single season, it was one or two pretty major injuries that can be so hard, like taking that many years off, especially in a sport that has a short career. Luckily he was very young. Like I didn't start snowboarding until I was 12. He was like a prodigy at like nine. So, um, for him, he still had a lot of time, but yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty common. Tons of, tons of pretty serious injuries. I mean, my last season, I got concussions, broke my ribs, um, different things. I had other seasons where I blew up the, my whole heel, um, that took like a whole year to recover. I've broken my tailbone. I've broken my wrist. It's broken my ankle. Um, those things are all pretty common. And even still my, my coaches, when they sat me down and kind of made a plan for the next Olympics, this was the year before I actually ended up stepping away from the sport. They were like, it's not an, if it's a, when you get a big injury, like something like rupturing your spleen that's that happens uh i had a friend who had internal bleeding and it was really bad um another friend who dislocated her hip like like pretty life-threatening type injuries those happen probably once in a career or twice wow uh two questions how do how does the family support this considering you get i mean everyone's getting injured uh is it because it's part of the culture and they understand as well or is this that you guys are adamant and uh, you just need to go back to the board 
Yeah. I mean, I think like for my parents, they want to support what I love to do. And of course they want to like try to reduce the risk injury. The minute I said I wanted to go into snowboarding, they made me get a trampoline coach, for example, so that I build better air awareness and learn how to fall better. So that can help. The first, the, when I first got selected to the junior national team, we went out and hired a strength and conditioning coach immediately so that I could help prevent injuries. For example, torn ACLs, almost every female snowboarder. I was lucky to like make it out with no torn ACL. I was always in the gym working on my, on my squats, on my deadlifts, doing everything I could to make sure my legs were bulletproof, which helps your performance, but it really helps with your confidence of not getting injured, but also just. Yeah. So doing all that work in the gym then helped with also preventing some of those, those bigger injuries that would require surgery, maybe a year, maybe two seasons off. I had friends who've had to take two seasons off with knee injuries. Um, those are pretty popular, but I think when it comes to like parents supporting they're like my parents were always going to support what I love to do. And I also was too hard headed to ever listen to anything else. You know what I mean? Like they knew I'm going to do what I want to do no matter what. So instead of, you know, picking a fight with me or whatever, they're going to do make the best uh, effort to support me and to make sure it's a safe environment. So that meant, you know, the trampoline coach, strength and conditioning coach, a snowboarding team and coach, um, all those things that I had to do, they made sure they encouraged it, made sure I was, had the right insurance that I was always wearing, uh, you know, the proper helmets, like all those things that they can do to make it the safest as that it can be. But, um, ultimately it's up to me, right? Like I'm not going out there also and trying new tricks that I've never come even close to doing like that would be silly, but I'm always just doing incremental, you know, progress, incremental progress. Um, so that doesn't feel, you know, quite as scary or quite as injury risk, uh, prevalent, but you never know weather changes. Um, you just slip up and fall different times. Um, literally one time I broke my finger riding down the bunny hill, um, not even going off any jump or anything. You just catch an edge and like slam your hand into the ground. Things always can happen. Um, but just trying to be super safe was pretty much it's, it's on, it's on you. And I know every parent is different. Some parents would just be like, no, my kid is not doing action sports. But since I was a little kid, I was doing stuff like that. I was riding my bike off jumps. I was doing skateboarding. So I think they just knew like, that's who I am. And so they're going to try to support that. Wonderful. Wonderful. The ones who do get, I mean, the injuries you mentioned, the, you know, ACL and stuff that, that they're basically injuries that you have to take or you're out, right? Um, how do people come back from that and how are they willing to get back at it? It's, it's, yeah. it's incredible. I mean, it's, it's very popular in snowboarding at, at the, the one good thing is like you use your legs for everything, right? Like taking off landing, um, you're absorbing so many, like the G force when you're landing and everything is pretty incredible. It makes no sense how snowboarders, they, you see some of them in the gym and they're not squatting that much, but then when you hear about the actual, it's like 3000 pounds of effort that their legs take when they land one jump, you're like, that makes no sense. Um, so yeah, I think that they start learning that it's important to train in the gym. And that was a big thing for me was doing that ahead of time. Often I was teased for it because in action sports, it's not cool to train and um, be so into the gym. Now it's really, the culture's changing because even like skateboarding's in the Olympics now, surfing's mm. in the Olympics now. Um, so people are recognizing it's important, but most athletes in snowboarding, action sports in general, they don't realize it's important until it's too late. Um, but, you know, they all have a love for the sport. And that's the cool thing about action sports 
it's not like another sport where you stop and now you're done. You don't ever, never do it again. Like snowboarding is a lifestyle. People want to do it for the rest of their lives. Like I want to still snowboard for fun um, and go hang out with my friends on the snowboard hill and do those things for the rest of my life. So I'm going to always come back from whatever injury it is to make sure that I can do it. And so um, for most of those athletes, whenever they tore their ACL, like that passion for the sport always is going to win out. And so you're going to do whatever the coaches tell you to make sure that you can get back to it. How often do you train? Uh, like in the gym? Yeah. What is your training schedule like? Yeah. So I was in the gym, like, I mean, pretty much every single day. Um, most athletes, they probably wouldn't spend as much time in the gym. Like uh, after usually all our training camps at night, I would actually be doing like full workouts. Most people would just do like they'd work with the strength and conditioning coach and do spinning, like just recovery type activities, light stuff. Um, and then maybe on like a rest day, they'll do like maybe a harder, like a rest day from the snowboarding. They'll do a harder training session. Um, and then when it came to on hill, you're usually on the snowboard hill five days a week, at least. Uh, you'll take one, maybe two days off per week, but it also depends on the weather. If you have a bad weather week, for example, and you're off a bunch of days, you're going to be, you know, kind of going into the gym more. And then if you all of a sudden have this really good weather week, you want to take as, as much advantage of it as possible because snowboarding, similar to surfing, it depends. Are the waves good for snowboarding? Is it windy? Is it flat light? Is it snowing? So when the snow's good, when the conditions are good, you want to like, just be able to take advantage as long as you can, because, there's, you can get two weeks straight of bad weather. You never know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, what about mental training? Did you, yeah, that's a big part. Like, you, since it, yeah. I was, yeah, since I was young, that was a big piece of it. Like the strength and conditioning coach that we hired also was getting her master's in sports psychology. So that was one of the reasons we worked with her because we were able to work on the mental side of things when I was driving with her to the gym, when we were talking about things in the gym, when we're on phone calls. Um, and then my first snowboard coach, that was one of the first things he gave me was like kind of like a, a paper sheet of like questions to ask myself, how to do, learn how to visualize and meditate and do things like that. So that's really big, especially in the off season, especially on those kind of rainy days or bad weather days is like visualizing and going through the mental routine of what's your run, what's your, what's your training like. Um, that's really important. How effective is it? Super effective. I think it's super important. And I think people are taking more um, notice of it. Now uh, it's, it's really kind of being pushed into the limelight with mental performance coaches now being prevalent in all sports, especially like in the MLB. Um, it's, it's just really important. Wonderful. So yeah. Uh, why do you get done? Why, why did you retire? Did you retire? Yes. So I stopped in 2014, I missed out on the Olympics in 20, I was still pretty young. So 2018 was more like, you know, immediately we, my coaches and I made a plan for 2018. Um, but then in 2015, something changed just mentally. I kind of fell into a depression. I was, um, I was like all the way in Whistler living my dream essentially as an athlete. And I just felt like I didn't want to be there. Like I just wanted to be back home and I was like, this isn't me. And so all of a sudden I started feeling like I was falling out of love with the sport. I started getting, you know, I remembering all the injuries I've been through. I saw a really bad injury of a close friend um, that really affected me. And um, by the end of the season, I decided I was going to take a break and um, just never really returned. Mm -hmm. What do you do then? 
Yeah. So I, I mean, I was lucky that I'd already started a business. I'd already started doing some CrossFit training. So I was able to like dive in and replace kind of, instead of spending eight hours a day on the snowboard hill, I spent eight hours a day in the gym. Um, so I had some passions that I was able to transfer, but it was extremely difficult even just to find myself. And even though I had a plan of what to do, like I had the business, I had the, um, you know, all the things set up and prepared. Uh, I still really, my identity was tied with being a snowboarder. Who am I, if I'm not still going for the Olympics, if I'm not still this national team athlete, um, all those things. So it was really, really tough. Um, yeah, really tough. My, I thought that, it, you know, leaving the sport would help with my mental health, but it did the exact opposite. So. How do you recover? Therapy. I, I always recommend therapy to everyone. I think it's super important. Um, that was a big part of my recovery, talking with friends and family as well. Um, you know, spending time on my own. I always spent time around my coaches, teammates, all these things. Finally, I did like some things just for me, uh, starting to do things just for fun and discover like, what do I like to do aside from these things that are only aligned with my goals before I was like, I can't do this. I can't go to a party. I can't do anything because it's not leading me to my Olympic goal. So mm. finally I was like, maybe I'm just going to spend the day at the beach today, or I'm going to figure out, oh, I really like photography or just figuring out things that are fun and they don't have to be monetized. They don't have to be your career or towards this goal. That was a big part of, of recovery as well, as well as just building healthy habits, like meditating, uh, learning what can help me deal with my anxiety, breath work, how, you know, how can I manage that so that those things don't come on until it's too late. Do you feel a lot of athletes struggle with similar things? Like, I, uh, I mean, a hundred percent. 100% of the athletes that I talk to definitely deal with the identity piece when they leave the sport. That's huge. Um, that's, that's a massive, uh, thing that doesn't get, I mean, it's getting, it's, it's limelight now. I mean, we're talking about it here. Um, often I talk about it on other podcasts on my podcast, so it's definitely getting attention, but it's, it's huge. I, I haven't met any athlete that hasn't really dealt with that issue when they leave their sport. But as well, I think a lot of athletes are going through things during their time, pursuing those goals within their sport. Um, you know, sport culture is still this like superhuman mentality. Um, you want to, you know, appear a certain way. You're also trying to impress sponsors, press, fans, different things. Um, there's so many things that weigh into, into it that make it really hard to speak out about mental health or, you know, make it really easy for you to feel guilty about your own mental health because people say, oh, you're an athlete, your life is so good. Uh, you're, you're playing a sport for a living. What do you have to stress about? Um, but sports have a tons of highs and lows. Your entire life revolves around the sport, right? Like, it's not like you do your nine to five and you're checked out, like the way you sleep, the way you eat, the way you have conversations that all affects your performance. Um, so yeah, I think a ton of athletes have gone through something like this. Um, maybe not to the extreme amount, but we all, we all deal with mental health in some way. Um, and so I think it's really important that in the sports space, we all make a, a better culture to be able to deal with it and have people be able to open up. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, what's probably the case is as athletes, we're all extremely competitive. And when you take out the Com the competition part of things, the, the sport out of it, where do you compete? Where do you, where do you try and get better? Right. Like, like you mentioned, uh, instead of taking a break or, you know, hanging out with friends, you want to do something that will help you get 1% better. Yeah. Interesting. Um, all right. You, 
get done with uh, snowboarding, you you take a break or you get into CrossFit and and then what? Yeah, so I started pursuing CrossFit. I've now competed kind of around the world in, in that sport. Unfortunately, I had a shoulder injury a couple of years ago when I was overseas and um, it's been two years of recovery and I just found out it's actually, it's torn. So we're trying to figure out what that process is like, if I have to get surgery or not, trying to figure that out actually next week. And um, yeah, so I'm still doing that. Uh, I started, you know, creating more content, doing a lot of things, especially over the past few years, just speaking about my experience in mental health, speaking about my experience as an athlete, um, talking about mindset, different things. So I like to create a ton of videos and different things about that. Um, and then I've just been working on my business as well. Um, so aside of pursuing that sport, uh, of CrossFit, I've been also building my business, which is, um, a sport marketing branding agency. So consulting a lot of brands, athletes, teams on social media, sponsorship, that whole side of things, the things that I had to figure out. And I wish somebody like myself, uh, was able to help me with it, or at least provide some education on it when I was, uh, an athlete. So trying to fill that gap. What do athletes need to know about, uh, the social media part of things? I mean, so many things, um, and it's definitely individual to every athlete and where they're at. And, you know, if they're already someone who's creating content, I think the next generation of athletes, they're going to have it. It's just going to be natural because a lot of them are already just on TikTok, um, doing things with their friends or whatever. They, they speak the language of social media. They understand what's trending, uh, you know, how people can, how you make jokes or twist, you know, what you do into a trend or whatever it is. Um, so now like people are natural born content creators. They don't necessarily have to figure out how to do it because they're born with iPhones in their hands. Um, so it's a lot easier, but learning, I think it's important for every athlete to learn the, just the mechanics of social media. Like how does it actually work? Because oftentimes we hear people say, oh, social media, the algorithms change. Now it's doing this or now it's this. I'm like, that is never true. The algorithm just doesn't, someone doesn't go in and just say, oh, algorithm changed. Social media algorithms are always going to prioritize people be spending more time on the app because that's how any social media company makes money. They need people spending time in the app so then they can deliver ads or whatever else. So you have to think about that behind anything. For example, Instagram saying now they're going to prioritize video. It doesn't mean they're throwing out photos or whatever. If your photos are getting a ton of time spent, people reading and content, why would they not put that out as much as videos? They're not going to switch the algorithm all of a sudden. It just means that they're recognizing that more people are watching videos on Instagram. And so naturally the algorithm is going to reward that more because if you're watching a ton of videos, you're going to get more videos shown to you. Um, so I think if athletes, they all recognize the mechanics behind everything and, and that's kind of the mechanics of everything with attention, the attention economy, um, that's going to really help. Um, and then aside from that, just making sure that you have a really strong foundation of who you are so that you're not changing yourself to all these things. It's not like, Oh, what's going to go viral. What's going to do this. Let me just change everything about myself to make it like this. That's going to be hard for you to stay consistent with social media because you're putting up a fake front. And that takes a lot of effort. You're acting every day versus how can you already, the, the messages that you want to put out there, the personality that you want to show, how can you use social media to amplify that? I think that's the important piece in that rather than how can you change yourself to be viral on social media? That's just a recipe for mental health and, and sustainable uh, disaster in my mind.
Mm. Should all athletes get into social media regardless of what level they're at? Um, I mean, I'm a big believer in it because I think no matter what level you at, you're at, there's an opportunity there to build, right? Like when you're at a low starting out in, in a sport, you're still building the blocks to get to the level you want to be at. Mm. Think social media, the business side of sport, same thing. You got to start small and keep building. So if you aren't building that alongside the level you're at as an athlete, then when you get to a certain level, you're not going to be able to get the same business deals as someone who has been building those things. So I think it's important, like all things in sport, your physical training, your mental training, your um, sport specific training, your business side of things, the social media, you need to be building all of those things together. Um, because then when you get to the top level, not one of those things is going to hold you back from, you know, your professional career, signing a bigger contract, getting sponsorship deals to actually fund your career. There's so many different things that social media plays a part of. And so it's becoming as important, um, to maintain as all these other things. Have there been, have there been instances where sponsors have looked, uh, have prioritized the athlete's social media game more than the actual game? 100%. 100%. All the time. Uh, There's athletes in the NFL who are getting bigger contracts based on their social media following. So they will bring in an athlete with a big following because they know the fans will follow that athlete. So then that'll bring more money to the the box office for that team. They're going to sell more tickets. They're going to get more viewership all that kind of thing, sell more jerseys. So uh, I think it's making its way into com- mainstream sports and in individual sports. You see it all the time. There's athletes who are um, just content creators and they create content around their sport, but they never have gone professional. Actually, you see it in, in basketball, there's some people who just post amazing dunks. They mm. don't play in the NBA, nothing else, but they have like a million followers and are having making tons of money on brand deals um, despite not having a professional contract. Um, and then you see it with, um, with different sports, especially like the NHL or different things where you see an athlete who's able to market themselves versus someone who's not, maybe that one athlete has a bigger contract from the team because they're performing better. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other athletes probably making a ton more off sponsorships and all those different kind of things off, off the field. So I think, you know, going back to the previous question, it's important to, to build that social media and business side. Don't ever let it take over you know, getting in the way of getting better as an athlete, because that's important. That's what you do. Social media is telling people what you do, but what you do is actually your level as an athlete, but you want to just be building those um, and and making sure that you're not neglecting any of them. Brilliant. Tell us about your marketing agency. Yeah. So started in 2014. um, So a year before I stopped uh, snowboarding. I stepped away in 2015. Um, it was actually one of my sponsors who said, Hey, can you help us with social media? You know, you're really good at it. That's how you kind of promote us through our sponsorship. So can you help our actual business? And I said, yeah, like that works for me. Um, so I started helping them. And then when I stepped away from the sport, I was able to start building that business. Cause obviously I had more time could take on more clients. People had been asking, um, this business, like who is helping you guys, like who's doing this. So I started being able to build those connections. Um, And then over time, it really came full circle to basically all the businesses we've worked with are all in the sport, wellness, um, health kind of space. Um, And then we've helped a ton of athletes along the way. And that's our main priority now is, especially with the NIL um, era here and now college athletes can make money off their name, image, and likeness. 
we're really prioritizing education. So doing a lot of consulting, creating custom courses in partnership with other businesses um, to educate as many athletes from high school to college to pro as possible of how they can empower themselves in their career by using social media. Because I think as many people are stepping into the space to be agents or to, um, to connect brand deals or whatever it is, how do we empower the athletes to know how to even build their brand, what to care about? Um, should they just go for any sponsorship or should they put more intention and thought about it? Um, so that's kind of the space that I'm trying to fill is the education space uh, of, of teaching these athletes as well as teams and brands of how they can go about this in the best manner. Wonderful. Uh, what's it called? Where can they get in touch? Where can they find out more? Yeah. So 93 agency, uh, we have a website, 93 agency.com, or you can reach me at Natalie at 93 agency.com. If you're interested in any sort of like webinars, consulting, um, partnerships, uh, just trying to help as many athletes as, as we can. That was a big part of even when I was snowboarding, I would get emails from random like Olympians and I wouldn't, I like people I've never met. And they would say my coach or my dad, like said, that you're good at social media. He heard it from this person mm -hmm. um, and I need help to try to get sponsorships. And so really it just came from seeing that, realizing I had nobody who was teaching any uh, or nobody to look to who was teaching me any of these things. I had to figure it out. So I'm like, how can I help that next generation um, be able to figure it out a lot faster? Mm -hmm. Interesting. And uh, what are your socials? Yeah, so uh, I'm at Natalie Alport on everything. <laughs> Yeah, you have a website as well, right? Uh, yeah, natalieoffward.com, yeah. Wonderful. <clears throat> Natalie, thank you so much for sharing your journey with us. Um, yeah, thanks for having me. Brilliant, uh, brilliant, brilliant journey. I, look, I haven't really followed snowboarding, but I do look forward to um, watching it. When are the Winter uh, Olympics? Yeah, so I think they're, are they in Beijing? Yeah, I think Beijing probably, I might get this wrong. I think February, I mean, usually they're February. So I think February or March, I something like that. It's pretty soon. Like we're really lucky with, uh, I mean, we're not lucky, of course, with the pandemic and all that kind of things. But having the Olympics as a fan, we have the Summer Olympics starting in like mm. a week. And then we have Winter Olympics only like right. six months later. So that's pretty exciting. Perfect. Cool. Um, Natalie, thanks again, and uh, I wish you all the best. Thank you.